0: Just Thinking, with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics, as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think.
1: We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker.
0: And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on? Oh,
2: <laughs> what's, go-
0: <laughs> what's going on man how you doing brother hey man doing good out here in southern california I know, in are, I know yeah, you man, are in, i
2: know
1: you are. yeah
0: man i here in the santa clarita valley it's actually raining right now okay. uh um, and actually you know we've been out here about six weeks now since we moved from atl out here to uh SoCal, as they say it out here and it's actually rained every week we've been here and uh man you know these these californians man when it rains (laughs) it's like wait what's going on out here they don't know know how to act out there they don't know how to act man oh wow you know when it rains man they're immediately asking when it's gonna stop
2: wow they're
0: they're, they, they immediately want the rain to stop wow so I mean, so much so, I, I, and this I know, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, so much so the very first, very first week we got here, we would like be watching the local weather, just trying to sort of get acclimated to what the local channels are and stuff like that. And so the meteorologist would give the weather report, and if there was rain in the forecast, they would say, Well, you know, rain's going to last until about six pm." And man, we would be going out like to the mall or something like that. And people would we, we actually heard people talking to one another saying, well, it's supposed to stop at six o'clock. Wow. They're like really looking forward to the rain stopping at that exact time.
1: time. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. That would be funny. They couldn't, they couldn't handle it here, man. This morning I got up, it was, it was minus two. And uh, wow. and the wind chill was dropping it even lower than that. We had just received about oh, about about two inches uh, on top of nine inches from last week, on top of even more than that from the week prior. So uh, we are we are you know just rolling in snow here, and and you know most everybody has a good attitude about it. The only thing yeah. is that we're we're at the we're at the point now where like for the last three weekends you've either had to think about whether or not you're going to close the doors uh, at church because it's, it's kind of dangerous to get out. And, uh, we we've had three weeks of that. And I think folks are at the point of, you know, it's, it's the beginning of March and we're still seeing snow. We're like, okay, we're, we're good. we wherever the bell is that you can hit to say time out, I want to hit that <laughs> bell. <laughs> That's well, where I'm
0: at, man. I'm going to top your, uh, I'm going to see your weather there, in, uh, in Nebraska. And, uh, top that with weather that's going on back in my home state of Georgia, where they've got multiple tornadoes that have touched down. I've, I'm hearing wow. multiple reports of tornadoes. They're getting really hammered right now with some really bad storms, uh, in Georgia. A matter of fact, the entire Southeast, there's a wave just coming across the Southeast right now as we record. So wow. we're definitely praying for, um, all my home folks back, uh, in Georgia yeah. because they're getting hit pretty hard. Uh, uh, it is kind of interesting. I guess storms are relative, you know, so when it rains here in California, they call it storms. If, if oh, it's wow. raining, it's, if it's raining to whatever degree it's stormy. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 you guys haven't seen storms. I can show you some storms. Okay. Wow. So in Georgia right now is storming. That, that, that's what a storm does. So
1: yeah. anyway, uh, it, it, uh, anyway, I was, I was going to tell you, man, we, we, it, you, you know, you know, it's bad. I'll, I'll say this last on, on, on Weatherstone. You know, it's bad when you're in a class in Sunday school and you're, you're worshiping God for the common grace of a fireplace and warmth in your home. Amen. Right. Amen. Baby. <laughs> Amen.
0: Absolutely. That listen, was literally the, the, that
1: was literally a conversation I had today at the, church.
0: The, listen, it's 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 like it says in Matthew. I think the the sun rises and the rain falls on the just and the unjust.
1: And the unjust, Com- absolutely, common,
0: common grace, man. That's a classic common grace text. Absolutely, like
1: that. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh,
0: so, 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 tell the listeners, man, what we're going to be teeing up in this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast.
1: Oh man, I'm I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the born alive act and uh man i'm 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 very proud uh that, that the senator from nebraska uh ben sass uh was the one that teed this up he's uh we were very familiar with him here the, those of us who are in christian circles especially those of us who are in homeschool circles because he was a homeschool homeschool dad his his office uh might be it might be of interest to you and all the listeners is is a is a Brief drive, less than seven minutes uh, from where I live. I could literally drive to where he offices here uh, in in Nebraska. Of course, he all, you know he's he's in DC as well. But um, yeah, he he's a he's great guy. Uh, good, good, you know, good man. A good good godly man who loves God and and definitely is operating from a biblical worldview where he's at in the Senate. Uh, but I'm excited about talking about this particular topic when you told me that this was the direction you you felt in your heart you wanted to go. Uh, I thought, man, this is, this is going to be great. I look forward to having this conversation and teeing this up. So that's, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight.
0: Yeah, so, so thanks for that backdrop there, Omaha. And for new listeners to the podcast, let me just give you guys a couple of uh, insights into how Virgil and I do what we do. Uh, we've been doing this podcast now for a little over a year. Uh, we launched back in December of 2017, so it's been about 14 months. Well, really can't count 14 months. It's been 14 calendar months. Right. But but when I transitioned out here from Atlanta to California to go to work at Grace to You, uh, only until last week. Before last week, Virgil, you and I hadn't done a, a new episode in two two months. Right. Almost two months. So we've right. actually been doing the podcast right at about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, what we'll do is, you know, Virgin and I will touch base on social media at some point and I'll tee up an idea for a topic for us to talk about. Uh, he may have an idea as well. So we may bounce stuff back and forth with one another, but normally that's not even necessary because normally the topic that, that I'll suggest is, is one that he's, he concurs with that he's burdened with and wants to talk about as well. And we had planned initially on this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast to discuss reparations. Mm-hmm. That was the initial topic that we were going to tee up, specifically with respect to um, what's being proffered out there by a couple of presidential hopefuls for 2020. I won't mention their names. Mm-hmm. But we were going to tee up that subject of reparations from a biblical uh, perspective, because that's what we do on this Just Thinking broadcast. We open we, the we Word might, of God. We might, we might- might get back to that maybe we might yeah we're yeah yeah. good point good point Omaha that's not to say that we won't get back to it but I can just say from where I'm sitting right now that subject is just old worn out and tired as far as I'm concerned we may get back to it at some
1: point but now, now that you put it out there I I bet money yeah I bet money some of the listeners will be like hey y'all gotta talk
0: about reparations well we'll see we'll see (laughs) we'll see I'm not promising anything I'm not not promising anything, but we shall see. But uh, right around that time that we were talking about maybe doing the uh, subject of reparations, the Senate had a vote on the Born Alive Act. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that the Born Alive Act, and we're going to give some background on what that legislation was about. We're going to talk about a little bit, give a little bit background on Senator Ben Sass, who proposed the legislation. Mm-hmm. When I saw that that legislation did not pass, it's like the Lord really convicted me. No, this is a topic that needs to take priority over reparations. Mm-hmm. You guys need to talk about this. This, my heart was really burdened to deal with this. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of the Just Thinking Broadcast. And I I want to begin our uh conversation here, uh Omaha, with going to a a very sobering text in the old testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And again, for our new listeners. This is what we do on the Just Thinking broadcast. We look at the topic through the objective truth of the Word of God. This is Mm -hmm. what we do. We open the Word of God, and we discuss amongst ourselves, and as you listen, well, what does the Word of God have to say about this? So you're not going to hear on this broadcast a bunch of opinions being tossed back and forth like a tennis ball. That's good, buddy. We're going to look at what the word of God objectively says, because there's not an issue that we face in our human experience in this life that the word of God does not touch. And it does touch this subject of the Born Alive Act. Um, and we're going to talk through this uh, in this episode. So we we'll hope you hopefully you all will hang in there with us as we do that. So if you have a Bible with you on a device or if you have a hard copy Bible with you, Uh, You can look at this text with me. It is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. This text really is going to set the context for what we're going to talk about in this episode. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. And of course, as always, Omaha, I am reading from... The the elect standard? No. Uh, Oh, (laughs) man. No, oh no. man,
1: I, I was I was hoping I was hoping you
0: come on through, but that's all right. Nope, Go ahead, do, nope, do what you do, no. man. Do what you do. I will be reading from the Non Armenian Standard Bible, <laughs> more popularly known as the NESB, New American Standard. <laughs> Ecclesiastes nine verse three. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That there is one fate for all men. Further, and here's what I want the listeners to catch. This is uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. Further, furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Wow, come on. I want to read that one again. Ecclesiastes 9, 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Throughout their lives. That's Ecclesiastes 9 3. That evil and insanity is in the hearts of the sons of men. That's us. That's mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm. Throughout their lives. Throughout. Now. Having read that text to sort of set the context of what we're going to be talking about, I think it's important for us to begin this discussion in this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast with the acknowledgement that America is thoroughly and unarguably a post Christian nation. Yeah. There should be no argument about that. America is fully engulfed as a post Christian nation. Now, by the term, post-Christian, what I mean is that America as a society no longer views the word of God as its primary guide in terms of defining objectively the social, cultural, and political standards by which we, as a society, are to live. Mm -hmm. Now, there once was a time when that was so, hence the term post-Christian. However, I mean, it's clear by many, many contemporary evidences today that this is no longer the case, and it has not been the case for quite some time. Yeah. Now, one of the evidences of which I'm alluding is the recent failure by the United States Senate to pass what has commonly been referred to as the Born Alive Act, commonly been referred to as the Born Alive Act, but it's formally known as the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which was Senate Bill 130. Now, the Born Alive Act was introduced, as you alluded to earlier, Omaha, by your home. Well, not your home state, but your state senator, Ben Sass mm-hmm. On January 15th, 2019. Sass, just to give you background on him, he earned a bachelor's degree in government from Harvard University in 1994. He also received his Master of Arts, his Master of Philosophy, and a PhD in history. He received all those degrees, all three of those degrees from university universities. Say Senator Sass is a very, very bright man. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what the Born Alive Act is, I want to provide just a brief synopsis of what the bill was intended to accomplish legislatively, which essentially is comprised of two main pillars. Okay. So the born Born alive act essentially stood on these two main pillars. Number one, and and what I'm about to uh, read is direct quote from the verbiage in the bill. Okay. So these, these two points that I'm going to bring up now, are verbatim from the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act verbiage, okay? Number one, if an abortion results in the birth of an infant, the infant is a legal person for all purposes under the laws of the United States and entitled to all the protection of such laws. Let me read that again. If an abortion results in the live birth of an Mm. infant, the infant is a legal person for purposes of the laws of the United States and entitled to all the protections of such law. Mm. Second pillar, any infant born alive after an abortion or within a hospital clinic or other facility has the same claim to the protection of the law that would arise for any newborn or for any person who comes to a hospital clinic or other facility for screening and treatment or otherwise becomes a patient within its care. Mm. So essentially what this born alive act is acknowledging is that if the child is born alive and survives an abortion, the child is a person, is a legal person, according to the laws of the United States. Now, as I said earlier, it was on those two pillars that the Born Alive Act rested. Now, I say was, passed, because on Monday, February fifteenth, nineteen, the legislation was voted in the United States Senate was voted down. Those two pillars that I just read off were voted down 53 of 54 Republican senators voted in favor of the Born Alive Act whereas 44 of the 47 Democrat senators voted against it now just to refresh your memory i'm going to go back and reread those two pillars again so that you can in your own mind sort of marinate on the on the fact that You had a group of senators who voted for this, and then you had another group of senators who voted against this. They vote, 44 of 47 Democrat senators voted against this. If an abortion results in the live birth of an infant, the infant is a legal person for all purposes under the laws of the United States, and entitled to all the protections of such such laws. 44 of 47 Democrat senators voted against that. These same 44 Democrat senators voted against this. Any infant born alive after an abortion or within a hospital or clinic or any other facility has the same claim to the protection of the law that would arise for any newborn or for any person who comes to a hospital, clinic or other facility for screening and treatment or otherwise becomes a patient within its care. You have 44 or 47 Democrats vote against that. Now, mm -hmm. notwithstanding the fact that the Born Alive Act failed to pass. What I want to focus on in this episode of the Just Thinking Broadcast is not that the legislation failed to pass, but why it failed to pass. That's good. And the reasons it failed to pass are not political, but logical in nature. Now, I want to begin my defense of that thesis by going back to Scripture.
1: Hold hold on. I got to interrupt. Go you, ahead. Go ahead t- take, take us back to what you just said, because what you just said it's critically important for believers to understand about, about the issue of abortion altogether. We have a tendency to couch this conversation in political rhetoric, and this has nothing to do—it it, it has political implications— Right, but but the genesis of the issue is theological. This is Imago right. Dei. This is what this is what this is this is image of God. This is what we think of, of God and what what He decrees and what He declares. We we've got to we've got to pause. I really want so so I want you to go back because what you said was important. The issue that you're bringing up is not one of. Of politics, but one of theology. Kind of go back, go back and and, and amplify that just a bit, if you could.
0: Yeah, because what you're talking about there, and this is what we as Christians have to do. Because you nailed it, Omaha. The the default on this, number one, sadly, is that most people aren't going to care. Most people aren't going to care that this legislation, the two pillars of which I have repeatedly read here the first few minutes of this episode, most people aren't going to care about that. Let's
1: let's be honest they They aren't going to care, and the fact that they don't has everything to do with they've wrongly categorized this as politics as a politics. something so, something that they can talk about today until the next political issue is raised tomorrow and right. we've got to stop and recognize this is how we view god and if and if we understand
0: that we everything stops, and we have to pause and do exactly what you're doing yeah, and I'll go one step further. not only is this as a is this about how we view God? This is about how we view ourselves. Absolutely. Which is why I read that text from Ecclesiastes 9.3. You see, so you've got the same group of people who won't care about the fact that this act, which would have spared the lives of babies born alive. Right. That same group of people don't believe, in all likelihood, that they are the same type of people that the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here in Ecclesiastes 9.3. That the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity. That the 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 Hebrew word there for insanity is madness. When you translate it, it literally means madness. Mm-hmm. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and madness. Their hearts throughout their lives. So the same group of folks who don't care that this act didn't pass, they don't care that we're talking about it. Right. Are the same people who will probably say, well, No, 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 I'm not evil. I'm not insane. What are you talking about? Right. So, yeah, you're exactly right. We have to discuss this issue in biblical context and doing that. We must root cause this. The, 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 the larger point is not that the bill didn't pass. It's good. As I said earlier, we need to understand not that the bill failed, but why did it fail? it failed not because of politics but because of theology and i'm going to explain that as i was saying i want to defend that thesis right now i'm going to begin my defense of that thesis that this bill failed to pass this legislation that would have spared the lives of babies who had who would have otherwise survived an abortion they were born alive that that i'm going to explain from a theological perspective why that's important why that bill failed. Okay. And I want to begin my defense of my thesis here by going to the scriptures and reading from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3, verses 13 through 18. James writes this He says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, that is arrogance and lying, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every Evil thing. That's James 3 verses 13 through 18. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle James, gives us the reasons why the Born Alive Act failed to pass. Mm -hmm. In this one text in James, Mm -hmm. the Born Alive Act failed to pass. Because of arrogant and selfish ambition that is earthly, worldly, and demonic, just like James said. But we will be mistaken to think it is solely the fault of a group of politicians who were elected to office that this bill failed to pass. If we really think, those of us who are concerned about this legislation, if we think that it's because of these politicians who voted against it that it failed to pass, we're missing the point because the sad reality is that much of the blame must be placed with Christians mm-hmm. on this legislation, not passing. Now I say that because the fact is Omaha, that many of the politicians who voted against the born alive act are in office in the first place because, it because it is our own earthly natural and demonic arrogance that helped put them there. <laughs> this is solely the result of the fact that the vast majority of Christians in America don't possess a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would venture to suggest that if, if I were to poll a group of professing Christians on the street, do a man on the street kind of thing, or given the political correct count climate that we live in, I need to say woman on the street, transgender on the street, right. uh, 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 Latinx on the street. I mean, womanist on the street, feminist on the street, you name it. right? But I could poll a group of Christians who profess to be Christians on the street and ask them, If I were to ask them to articulate what their worldview is, I seriously doubt that many of them would even know what the world worldview means, let alone what their worldview actually is, if they have one at all. Right. And that's really sad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about that, just in preparing for this broadcast, I I, I was reminded of a book entitled Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth by A.W. Tozer. Um, this book, "Culture: Living as Citizens on Heaven on Earth," is a collection of, of Tozer's writings, and A. W. Tozer said this. Speaking about worldview, Tozer said a right view of God and the world to come requires that we have a right view of the world in which we live and our relation to it. Now, that's worldview. Mm-hmm. That's a great. Def- that's a great definition of worldview. Yeah. Toza said a right view of God and the world to come requires that we have a right view of the world in which we live and our relation to it. So much depends on this that we cannot afford to be careless about it. Unquote. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Toza, it's as if Toza knew that even Christians, there would be some issues with respect to worldview that even Christians wouldn't care about. And it really, even as I speak, my heart is really burdened by the, the vast numbers of Christians out there who probably don't give a darn about this issue. Right. They don't care. They couldn't care less, you know, and, and, and again, sort of, sort of segues into to another point I want to make, you know, one of the areas of American society in which this absence of a biblical worldview is most apparent is in the area of politics. You know, too many Christians today are comfortable supporting candidates for office through the lens of what the Apostle James just described as wisdom that is selfish, earthly, natural, and demonic. In other words, their support of these candidates is grounded in how electing a certain individual to office will benefit them, Mm -hmm. all the while not caring at all about what these candidates actually believe from the standpoint of worldview. Now, that's to say, what is their philosophy of life? What paradigm of ethics and morality guides them? Because we're all guided by some form of ethics and morality or another. Mm-hmm. We're all guided by one, uh, one, one form, one standard of ethics and morality or another. All of us are. Now, that the Born Alive Act failed to pass the Senate is as much the responsibility of Christians who helped elect many of these politicians to office as it is the politicians themselves who voted against it. It's a reality that begs the question of those who profess to be vol- followers of Christ. What worldview guides you when you go into the voting booth? Right. Is it a conviction about the all-encompassing veracity of Scripture or the earthly and arrogant wisdom of self? That's the question. What worldview guides you, if any, when you go into the voting booth, if you vote at all? What goes in there into that voting, voting booth with you? Does a conviction about the all encompassing, uh, uh, objective, universal truth of scripture, is that what uh, guides how you vote? Or is it your own selfish, earthly, and arrogant wisdom? Any thoughts on that, Omaha?
1: Absolutely. It, it's one of those things where we have got to be informed. In fact, truth be told, not many Christians actually have a a robust biblical worldview or even biblical worldview training um man if, if if i'm honest uh i i never really had a christian worldview training or biblical worldview training man until maybe about maybe almost a decade ago where someone sat me down and said and in fact it was uh it, it was my exposure to to something called the truth project i don't right. know if you're, mm-hmm. you're familiar yep. with that oh yeah yeah i sat and listened to that and understood for the first time that Christianity ha- ha- has answers to every, to every issue in life. I mean, y- you teed up our, our, our broadcast stating that we, we can open up the word of God and address and deal with every issue of life that comes. And we spend the, the vast majority of our time looking at those issues and discussing them on our show. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reality is the average Christian out there really has not done the homework uh, we, we're we're involved in just kind of a consumeristic Christianity where we've sat back and I, I was talking about it today where we sat back and listened to someone preach a sermon or teach a class, never to really take notes, never to take this yeah. on uh, on uh, uh, on our own shoulders to say, you know what, I need to learn about this in an effort not only to inform myself, but also to pass it on to the next generation. And that what we're learning needs to be acted out in such a way That when I live my life, I'm expanding the impact of the kingdom, and and that's and that's exactly what you're talking about. I talked to a a class I was teaching today. We're walking through uh, the book of Galatians, kind of kind of an expositional process of walking through, kind of you know verse by verse, really looking Mm -hmm. at the text. And, uh, you know, and we're talking about false religion and, and I wanted to bring them current day stuff that they can deal with so that we don't have a tendency to think. I, one of the things I love about what you do, and I know I'm jumping around thought wise. One of the things I love about what you do and what we do on this show is we go back into the pages of scripture and rather than leaving things in the first century where they were written or even mm-hmm. prior to that, mm-hmm. we look at them for what they are, for what they mean and how they apply. Right. To where we are today, right. how how we're to leverage those things to today. So again, with the class I was teaching, we're in the Book of Galatians talking about false teaching, talking you know where 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 Paul is is addressing who who's bewitched you, who who told you to 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 look at the law rather than the grace of God by which to be saved. What what's going on with you mm-hmm. as as we're looking at that? I, I brought them Pew research that shows them that even as of today. Fifty percent of Christians believe that salvation is by by grace and works. Fifty percent of Protestant believers believe it's by grace and works. Well, what is what is that saying? It's basically telling us we've not been informed about our faith. We've left it in the pages of Scripture, never to apply it purposely to our own lives, and never for that to be to have implication where we vote where we go to school, where we work, the people we come into contact with, how we interact with bills that get passed, how we interact with laws that don't get passed. That's where we need to be as believers. We need to realize that this is a living faith that we're involved in and that it has implications and application to
0: where we are today, modern day. Well, Omaha, I just have one question, man, after listening to you just now, where can I get a copy of that sermon you just preached? (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right, right here on the Just Thinking broadcast. Brother. Exactly right. right.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, my. Absolutely, man. That's great. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, I just want to add that, you know, and thinking about worldview, um, you know, the importance and significance of Christians having a biblical worldview, not only when it comes to politics, but to your point, to all aspects of our lives. OK, so I was thinking about a book by a gentleman by the name of Daniel J. Mahoney. This is a book that I'm currently reading. Oh, wow. And I think he captures it very well when you're talking about biblical worldview uh, as a philosophy if you will and then the application of it, okay? Because what did James say? You know, you just can't be a, a reader of the word, you got to be a doer. You can't just Do be a, a hearer. Word. That's right. You got to be right. a doer, right? Mm-hmm. So, I'm currently reading a book by Daniel Daniel J Mahoney. The title is very interesting. It's the Idol of Our Age. The Idol of Our Age subtitle, How the Religion of Humanity subverts Christianity. Wow. The idol of our age, how the religion of humanity subverts Christianity. This is by Daniel J. Mahoney. Now in the chapter in the book on the humanitarian ethos, the humanitarian ethos, Mahoney writes this, quote, moral cognition is deepened and enriched by a truly substantial account of the moral life and the human soul without a religious appreciation of the full range of human needs and not the cacophony of human wants posited by humanitarian materialism the spiritual dimensions of human life are all but forgotten mm. additionally religion in general and christianity in particular has a unique capacity to reconcile quote personal freedom dignity selfhood, and vitality with social discipline and coordination, unquote. Wow. Mahoney continues, the Christian cannot imagine the safeguarding of the mores of society without the surviving of a vigorous and demanding religious sensibility. Religion helps to make human beings and societies whole. To reconcile the sacred and the mundane, the freedom of persons, and listen to this by Mahoney, the freedom of persons and the requirements of civilized order. Mm. Without religion, Mahoney writes, without religion, and in the West, that means without biblical religion, Mm -hmm. the person becomes a mere individual and society loses the capacity for a common good and the kind of collective action that respects the moral integrity of human beings. Now he closes with this, the Christian notion of the person affirms human liberty and dignity while avoiding the illusion of human autonomy. Hmm. Now I want to repeat that last sentence because that was a killer.
1: That's huge. Yeah.
0: Mahoney writes again, the Christian notion, in other words, the biblical worldview mm-hmm. of the person affirms human liberty, and this is exactly what the Born Alive Act was attempting to do.
1: Right, right.
0: It was attempting to do exactly what Mahoney is writing here. The Christian notion of the person affirms human liberty and dignity while avoiding the illusion of human autonomy. right. Now you see, Omaha, here's why what Mahoney, what what Mahoney said is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Because when all is said and done, abortion is about one thing and only one thing. Come on, man. That one thing is human autonomy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is the one thing abortion essentially is about. Fundamentally, Absolutely. when you really reduce it down to its least common denominator, mm-hmm. It is about one thing, and that is human autonomy. Right. It is exactly as the scriptures declare in Job chapter 21, verse 14. Job 21, 14 reads this. They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Job 21, 14. Abortion is about one thing. Human autonomy. Mm-hmm. And there's a word for the kind of Defiant mindset that Job is talking about there in Job 21:14, where it reads, They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. There's a word for that kind of mindset, and that word is called humanism. Mm. That word is called humanism. Mm -hmm. And what exactly is humanism? What exactly is humanism? Well, humanism, according to the American Humanist Association, humanism is defined as quote. A progressive philosophy of life. In other words, a progressive worldview, a progressive philosophy of life that, listen, without theism or other supernatural beliefs, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. Unquote. Mm, mm. Now, that's the American Humanist Association's own definition of humanism. Right. I'm going to read this again. And this, this is why this is crucial, because it goes back to my earlier point that abortion is about one thing. And that is human autonomy, or in other words, to live in the same vein or in the same context, the same paradigm as what we cited in Job. We tell, we're telling God to depart from us, leave us alone. We don't even desire the knowledge of your ways, let alone want to obey your ways. Okay, so this is why this definition of humanism is so significant, because because we're talking about abortion being about one thing, and that one thing is human autonomy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read that definition again. A progressive uh, humanism is a progressive, progressive philosophy of life that without theism or other supernatural beliefs affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good now i would love to spend an entire episode expositing that definition by the american humanist association Yeah, we could use we could probably use it on a lot of different
1: episodes but i, I, would, I hear
0: you wow man i wish i could spend an entire episode expositing that statement by the american humanist association but did you catch that one phrase omaha without theism Theism, right without theism that is without god or any notion of a god in other words it's exactly as job said depart from us god we do not even desire the knowledge of your ways any thoughts on that the connection to humanism here omaha it's huge. I think I, I loved what you what you shared in
1: this, and when you when you were talking earlier about human autonomy, um, my thought immediately went immediately went to Genesis three, yeah. you know, in in, yeah. in the garden, and and where uh, when I think about the statements that are made from proponents advocates of uh, of abortion and 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 abortion rights, a l- lot of times the the kind of words that they'll use or the verbiage that they'll use is that I think I think the woman needs to make the decision. I think the woman. Yeah. So again, it speaks to the it speaks to the the human autonomy that 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 you mentioned, the humanism yeah. that's mentioned that's reflected in Genesis three, where where Satan comes in and and deceives the woman. Well, did God really say? Yeah. Uh, Positing the question of all questions. Let's question God. Let's let's challenge God. Let's mm-hmm. let's usurp the authority of God mm-hmm. and do what He said ought not be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the 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 text that you mentioned speaks to that. Uh, or rather the 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 definition, right? Uh, that you mentioned uh, speaks to that as well. We we've got to think about this in theological terms. Right. We've we've taken it out of out of the pages of Scripture and put it into the halls of politics. And that is not where it belongs. It belongs anchored
0: in, in our understanding of what Scripture has to say about this issue. Amen. And I've said before, and I know you agree with this as well. I don't care if we're talking about abortion, social justice, whatever the issue might be as Christians. We must stand our ground in using biblical vernacular and, bi- yes. and biblical terms. Yes. Once, once you give up your ground by ceding the high ground to the world, and you do that by using the world's terminology, you've Absolutely. lost the argument. Absolutely, you've lost the argument at that point. Yep. So you know, and, and when you really stop to think critically about the definition of humanism as proffered by the. American Humanist Association, you have to ask yourself, have you ever heard such hypocritical drivel in mm. your life? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they say without theism, that is without God, we will we want to affirm our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. Right. I'm like, I read that, and I'm like, seriously?
1: Right, right.
0: Where does this, now, without theism now, where does this so-called responsibility to, quote, lead ethical lives come from right. in terms of an objective standard? There's morality? Not,
1: yeah, there's not one. There's not one. It's completely erased. The individual becomes his own God, basically. Bingo. you coming. just
0: said, you yeah. just said in your own definition that without theism, We essentially want to be good. We want to do good. Mm -hmm. We want to be viewed as good people. But without theism, where does that responsibility even come from? What is the genesis of that? And beyond that, is there also not an inherent contradiction between the idea of living a life of quote personal fulfillment and aspiring to the quote greater good? That to me, that seems like there's an inherent, there's an intrinsic conflict in those two things, especially if you want to live without theism. So in other words, if the focus is primarily on the self as in personal fulfillment, how can that possibly lead to a quote greater good for others? Right. I mean, that way of thinking is totally contrary to the scriptural imperative that we have in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, do nothing from on, selfishness or empty conceit Mm -hmm. but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests and in the case of the american humanist association personal fulfillment paul says do not merely look out for that but also look out for the interests of others you see so so to me this definition of humanism as put forth by the American humanist association is intrinsically contradictory. You want to, you, you, where does this, uh, standard of ethics come from? If you want to do it as you state declaratively and explicitly without theism, right. Um, you know, as, as, as I thought about that, just how ridiculous that, that definition is, it's just so inherently contradictory. I was reminded of, uh, something Lewis Burkhoff said in his systematic theology. If you have the, I don't know about you, Omaha, I have the big, thick paperback version of Burkhoff's uh, systematic. So if you have that, I'm reading from page 204. Mm -hmm. This is what Burkhoff had to say about that kind of twisted reasoning, that sort of convoluted reasoning that is inherent to humanism. Listen closely to this. So again, the definition, listen, as I quote Burkhoff, Listen to what Burkhoff has to say, but, but also keep this background of humanism in, your, in, your, in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Humanism, again, is a progressive philosophy of life that without theism or other supernatural beliefs affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. Now, listen to what Burkhoff has to say. Burkhoff says, quote, There is a certain liberty that is the inalienable possession of a free agent, namely the liberty to choose as he pleases Mm -hmm. in full accord with the prevailing dispositions and tendencies of his soul. Man did not lose any of the constitutional faculties necessary to constitute him a responsible moral agent. He still has the reason, conscience, and the freedom of choice He has the ability to acquire knowledge and to feel and recognize moral distinctions and obligations and his affections, tendencies and actions are spontaneous so that he chooses many things that are good and amiable, benevolent and just in the relations he sustains to his fellow beings. But Burkhoff says man did lose his material freedom That is the rational power to determine his course in the direction of the highest good. So let me break in here. Contrary to what the American Humanist Association says Mm -hmm. in their own definition of humanism, that man has the ability to pursue the highest good. Burkhoff is arguing against that. He says man did lose the rational power to determine his course in the direction of the highest good. In harmony with the original moral constitution of his nature. Right. Man, Burkhoff goes on to say this, and here's the kicker. See, this goes back to Ecclesiastes 9 3. Burkhoff says, again, arguing against that definition of, of humanism as put forth by the American Humanist Association, Burkhoff says, man has by nature an insatiable, an irresistible bias for evil. Mm hmm. Man has by nature an irresistible bias for evil. And what did we read in Ecclesiastes 9.3? We read this, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Burkhoff says that man by nature has an irresistible bias for evil. He is not able to apprehend and love spiritual excellence to seek and do spiritual things, the things of God that pertain to salvation, unquote. So what Burkhoff has done is essentially capture what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Again, this is an argument and apologetic against what the American Humanist Association argues that mankind is capable of doing without theism. And again, the reason we're, we're focusing on this is because, again, abortion is about one thing. It's about human autonomy oh, yeah. and living a, a life apart from God. Mm-hmm. And this is what, what humanism essentially is. But Burkhoff is basically echoing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 14. Now, we have received, Paul says, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. Now, as the American Humanist Association would argue, Paul is saying, no, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, here's the kicker. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him Mm -hmm. and he cannot understand them. Now the American humanist association will say, Oh yeah, yeah. We have the innate capacity and ability to pursue the highest good. Yeah. So they would say, no, Paul, you're wrong. Yeah, we can understand. No, but Paul says, no, the natural man, you cannot understand the things of God because they're foolishness to you because they are spiritually appraised. not, not, humanly appraised they are spiritually appraised so again contrary to the philosophical worldview that is posited by the american humanist association both burkhoff and paul declare no no humanists you're wrong mankind is wholly incapable of aspiring to the highest good and consider this in ecclesiastes seven twenty. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and who never sins. No, so no, we're, we're not capable of pursuing the highest good. Scripture teaches completely the opposite. Right. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and who never sins. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew word there for never translates to who is without sin absolutely. So that reminds you, right, of Jesus' encounter with the woman caught in adultery. What did he mm-hmm. ask the crowd who was ready to stone her? Right. He said, let you who are without sin. Right. In other words, Jesus said, let you who has ne- never sinned. Cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And also in Genesis 6, 5. Genesis 6, 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil, was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. So no humanist, no, we don't possess the the capacity or the ability to pursue the highest good without God. Any thoughts on that, Omaha?
1: Absolutely, man. As we get as we get ready to kind of wind into uh, a break for our urban family uh, f- uh, talk, folks, man, I just want to want to add a, a couple of things here. I mean, you, you covered so much ground as you were kind of talking through. I, I immediately thought about Romans three, uh, uh, Romans chapter three, verse ten: that no one is righteous, no one is good. Paul makes the argument there that, that none of us are doing right by God. We have no ability to to aspire to to some. Some good based upon our human condition. Mm-hmm. We're fallen mm-hmm. in nature, and and that results uh, in the fact that we're 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 of evil continually. Uh, Romans three twenty three. All of us have fallen mm-hmm. short of the glory of God. I mean, we 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 should we should know and understand that the very nature of the human condition is such that that what they're asking or what they're what they're positing humanity is capable of is, is not, is not the reality in any way, shape or form, not on any level, not on, Mm -hmm. not in any way Mm -hmm. that we can, that we can witness, uh, you know, in, in reality. Well, again, I I want to, I want to mention, um, man, a a couple thoughts, man, a number of thoughts with the ground that you covered, Mm -hmm. uh, there, you, you talked earlier, um, trying to make sure I've got, uh, you, you, it started for me with the fact that you mentioned, um, you know, man and his nature is evil. It has a desire uh, to do evil always. I actually want to go all the way back to the passage that you mentioned in Philippians chapter chapter two. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because what, what you covered there was something that uh, I thought was probably, was it, was it verse two and three? It was 12, 12 through 14.
0: Yeah, it was 12 through 14.
1: In Philippians? Yeah. Look here. Philippians twelve through fourteen.
0: Philippians two verses twelve through fourteen.
1: That was First Corinthians, you said, right? First oh, sorry, Corinthians yeah. two. Yeah,
0: it was. It was Philippians two verses three and four. Verses three and four. Yeah. I wanna I want
1: to go there because there was something that caught my my attention uh, with regard to that. So let me go back to. I, I, I'm I'm reading from the Elect Standard. You, you see. You see how I'm gonna get that in, right? Oh my
0: gosh! You were You folks.
1: Let me let me get that, Alex. Standard in here. It says, "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significantly, or more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Man, as you as you quoted that, as you as you read from that, and and you talked about you know the fact that we're we're all so interested, caught up on our own human autonomy. What we have in this is that Paul gives us the very definition of, of what our lives should be about. Not, not, not that we should live lives caught up in our own autonomy, our own desire to do our own thing, but that it should be submitted to the will of God. And Paul goes on in that very same text to give you the fullest example of what that looks like in the example of Christ. Mm hmm. The, the God man comes on the scene mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and uh, verse four, he says this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Verse five, having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not mm-hmm. count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself humbled himself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross wow. we have we have so exalted ourselves Above God, you talked about that earlier with the with the, at the very beginning with the with the passage in Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. I talked, I talked about it from a standpoint of Genesis. Here we have the right example that we're to model our lives after Christ, who being in the form of God, humbled himself even to the point of death. Yet, we desire just sh- it just exposes the wickedness of mankind as we shake our fist. At an angry God and a desire to 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 act to do what we desire to do. To hey, we're go- we're gonna tell we're we're gonna tell God what human life is. We're gonna tell God yeah. how we want to live our lives. We're gonna we're gonna do what we want to do. And and I think you I think you framed it so well when you said this is an issue at the at the very core about human
0: autonomy, which goes back to the original sin. Right. That's exactly right. The, it goes back to Genesis three. Right. The first yeah. act of human autonomy. Was when Eve and Adam sinned. Yep. In the garden. Exactly. And we and, and, and we here we are over what thousands of years later talking about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's relative to what we're talking about today with regard to the Born Alive Act. And again, you know, just in reflecting just quickly on, you know, just through the lens of scripture on what the worldview of the American Humanist Association is. You know, my questions for them are these. I have several questions for them. Again, I want to reread the definition again just to sort of refresh the context here. According to American Humanist Association, humanism is defined as a progressive philosophy of life that, without theism or other supernatural beliefs, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good. Now, my questions are these. First of all, what is the greater good? I knew you. I knew, I knew that's what you were going to start with. What is the greater good? <laughs> Second question, what is the genesis of the greater good as an idea? Mm-hmm. What is the origin of that? What is the objective uh, beginnings of that kind of thought process? Mm-hmm. How is the term greater good objectively defined? And I guess the, 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 the biggest of all the questions that I have is if you aspire to live a life without theism, which, which is what they profess to want to do.
1: Right, they were clear about that.
0: If you aspire to live a life without theism, then why aspire to the quote-unquote greater good to begin with if there is no God to whom you'll be accountable and rewarded for doing so?
1: That's good, bro.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, seriously, why aspire to the greater good if there's no God? to whom you're going to be accountable and who will reward you for doing so. Another question, why not aspire to the greater evil? If you want to live your life without theism and you really see see so I'm about somebody go off on another this, this not, is more not, now not, this, not,
1: now you getting ready to preach. This, I'm gonna tune, this, I'm a tune this, up to Hammond B3. I'm gonna tune up to Hammond. <laughs> I'm gonna get the Hammond B3 cuz I I can tell you getting ready to tune the heck
0: up. I can tell right now. Listen, this <laughs> this, this this issue challenges it's like we, like you said earlier Listen, Christian, you must be a theologian. You cannot just, uh, I I don't know, pitter-patter through life, just reading your Bible, reading, oh, I got my devotion in, without studying and deep diving into the word of God. Now, I say that because this, again, I already said that the American Humanist Association's definition of humanism is fraught with contradictions. Here's one, if there is no God, why do you even use the words good and e- and and good and responsibility in your definition of humanism?
1: There's no objective standard.
0: Where'd the word good come from? Yeah. If there's no God. You see. So I'm asking, okay, so if, if you want to live without theism, why not aspire to the greater evil? You know, better yet, why why aspire to any moral or ethical standard at all? Right. Why not just embrace nihilism? Just go ahead and put your arms around nihilism, have a nihilistic worldview, which is based on the ethos, eat, drink, and f- for tomorrow we die, and just be done with it.
1: Right, right.
0: Why do you want to aspire to the greater good at all? You see, the shallowness of humanism is perhaps best described in the words of ironically a humanist. <laughs> So so if you don't want to take my word that humanism's own, I'm sorry, the, the humanist's own definition of humanism is fraught with theological problems, even philosophical problems. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be theological. Mm-hmm. It's fraught with philosophical problems. Let me uh, cue you in on the words of a humanist. Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut was the American Humanist Association's 1994 Humanist of the Year. and He's also a past president of the uh, American Humanist Association. If you want to know the shallowness of humanism, listen to this. Vonnegut said this, and I quote, I am a humanist, which means in part that I have tried to behave decently without rewards or punishment after I am dead, unquote. Hmm. I am a humanist, which means in part, that I have tried to behave decently with rewards or punishment after I am dead. Now, what an utterly fatalistic and confusing worldview to have. Now here is a humanist, Mm -hmm. Kurt Vonnegut, V-O-N-N-E-G-U-T is the last name, Kurt, Mm -hmm. K-U-R-T. Here's a man who was president of the organization whose own definition of humanism on their website says we want to live without theism okay yeah here you have this guy saying he's tried to behave decently without rewards or punishment now if you're convinced that there is no god why are you concerned about living decently without rewards or punishment after you're dead yeah why do you, why does that even why does that concept even cross your mind? Why to try why try to behave decently as Vonnegut says? Why try to behave decently if your entire worldview is based on living a life without theism? Right. But you see, this is the mindset of those who wish to live a life of human autonomy apart from God and who have absolutely no desire to know the ways of God. It's right. Romans one. This is Romans yeah. one all, yep. all day over. long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what decently means based upon a, a standard that doesn't include God. Like what it does that even, what does exactly. that even mean? You
0: can pick, you can, you can pick apart the definition, the humanist's own definition of humanism you can pick it apart like a Genzu knife. Right, <laughs>
1: right, right. Because I mean, you you it, can you can you can go further and say he he's obviously recognizing he can only try to behave decently, and that there that that he can't whatever standard he's placed even in his own mind is not achievable, which which should tell him that that there's something that that there's something that he's accounting to, uh, uh that 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 recognizes he's not meeting that standard we you and I both know Romans one is going to tell him that that standard is is what's written on the on 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 his own heart exactly yeah based based upon natural revelation but you know he's not going to acknowledge
0: that see of course he's not going to acknowledge what's what's sad for him is that he's basically moonwalked into Romans one and he doesn't realize it he's (laughs) he's moonwalked himself into Romans one because The question that he won't answer is the question we've been asking, uh Mr. Vonnegut. Where do you get this idea of decency? Where does that come from? Why not just go ahead and pursue the greater evil if there's no god if there's no if you're so bent uh, bent against living a theistic uh uh life, why not just pursue the greater evil? Well, it's because he knows he, he does he won't acknowledge this, but he knows that Romans one is written on his heart. Mm-hmm. Romans one, verse 18. Here again, Scripture proves to be true. Romans one, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from the from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For yeah. God made it evident within so, them. Yeah. This is where you get that idea, Mr. Vonnegut, of responsibility, of decency, of a good life, and, and uh, pursuing or uh, aspiring to the greater good. Because God has written that on your heart. You just refuse to acknowledge it. And that brings us into Romans 1, verses 28 and 32. And this mm-hmm. is what I mean by Mr. Vonnegut. He has Moon walked into Romans 1, and he doesn't even know it. (laughs) Right. Romans 1, 28 and 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now to bring this home that the born alive act legislation that would have ensured that babies who literally were born after surviving an attempted abortion, that the born alive act would fail to be passed is unarguably a glaring example of the kind of depraved mind that Paul is talking about in Romans one. The adjective depraved, by the way, that adjective depraved, in the Greek, denotes a mind, an intellect, an understanding, a reasoning, a type of reasoning that is totally ge- degenerate, totally corrupt, and unprincipled. Now, check out Matthew Henry, what Matthew Henry, and I know you and I are big Matthew Henry fans mm-hmm. in regard to commentary. Mm-hmm. Matthew Henry in his commentary on Romans 1, he described this depraved mind, the, the, what call, what Paul calls a depraved mind. Matthew Henry de- de- describes it this way, that the depraved mind is a blind seared conscience having lost all sensitivity to sin Mm. a blind seared conscience having lost all sensitivity to sin you see this is the kind of mind that applauds a society being able to legally murder children Mm -hmm. even after they've been born Mm -hmm. that's the mind that wants to live A life apart from God. That is the Job 21. Depart from me, God. We don't even want to, we don't even desire the knowledge of your ways, let alone do them. This is the connection of the born and alive act to human autonomy and want to live a life without God. This is the kind of mind that applauds a society like that, that is able to murder children even after they've been born. And yet, these are the kind of people, these are the kind of individuals who want no part of God in their knowledge. And despite that, though, there are Christians who are helping elect these people to political Mm -hmm, office, mm -hmm. people who embrace the idea of living their lives without theism. Christians are helping put these politicians in office. You got any thoughts on that, on I mean,
1: a lot of thoughts. I, I I don't know that I could have said it any better than Paul did in Romans one. I mean that that just that's the capstone of of like you said. I I, I do love the visual of him moonwalking.
0: He, <laughs> back he, into back, that. he backed right into Romans one with his own yeah, words with his, his own words.
1: Read. Doesn't even realize it. No, I I, I love that part. As, you, as I began to kind of look at this, and I knew we were discussing this, I tried to go and figure out. What is going on in their minds? Like what what kind of rational reason reasoned thought process are they using to come up with the idea that it would be okay or or morally uh, correct to allow a baby born alive to have the option to be killed? and and i actually actually went on some of the some of the websites for for left leaning uh people that and their their thought because i wanted to, where where is the what are they thinking? how are they defending mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these kinds of uh, kinds of issues and for the most part they you know it 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 boiled down to some of the tired reasoning and rationale a woman should have a right to choose a woman should have a right to choose some of that same kind of thought process one a, a number of of politicians kind of said well this th- their their response was this happens this being in, you know infanticide really is what they were talking about but but a right. child who survives an abortion their reasoning and rationale was this happens so rarely that there's no need for legislation to uh, to protect uh, these children so right. so their thought process was this happens so rarely so so I went to I went to look at what what had they what had they passed in recently. With regard to, um, you know, the kinds of kinds of decisions that that look at protecting, um, you know, people at re- regular everyday Americans, and and one of the things that I noted was they just passed the lynching act. Right, I saw. Had that. you heard about this? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and they and they were so excited about this this lynching act that they had passed that really amplified, um, you know, those who would be caught up in in lynchings, and and I started thinking. I don't know about you. How how many of these lynchings have you seen in the last, I don't know, decade? Right? I have I don't know of any. Right. Where 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 we've seen where where we have a need to pass laws that amplify the penalty for a lynching. If we're going to if we're going to use the logic of hey, babies don't need protection because of the fact that that the situation where they would be born alive is rare. Mhm. I think something much more rare would be lynching in America in, right. in today's America. Right. Great but but, they, but this was touted as something proud that they were proud of. They wanted to make sure that it was a part of their platform. Those who are running for for political office, particularly those who are running for for the presidency, wanted to wanted to have their face and name kind of out front in mm. this way. Yet those who need our protection most, the baby, not simply in the womb, but coming right out of the womb. Who may need pr- the protection that affords that, that affords them personhood? Uh, they thought that that was too rare an instance or occasion for it to be protected. Yes. I, it it just goes to show again some of the flawed thinking, the the, the 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 seared conscience. They've lost all sensitivity to the fact that 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 sin is 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 at work within them.
0: Yes, and the thing about it, you know, theologically speaking, is they never had that sensitivity right <laughs> they never right. had it it's not that right. they lost it they never had it no you're and, spot on and we and we see that again in ecclesiastes 9 3 the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity in their hearts throughout their lives the right. writer says so right. "No, they didn't lose it they never had it right some of know. unfortunately some of them claim to be christian you right. know that right and that's yeah. that's my whole point that's my po- that's my whole thesis here this is exactly right So you, matter of fact, you segue right into what I uh, thought that I want to share next. So you recall my saying earlier at the top of the episode that fundamentally, right, the Born Alive Act failed to pass for reasons that are theological, not political. Mm -hmm. There are theological reasons why that act didn't pass, not political. Now, notwithstanding the failure of the Born Alive Act to pass the Senate, I stand by my position that much of the fault lies at the feet of Christians Mm -hmm. who, for whatever reasons, are inclined to apply the principles found in God's Word to only certain areas of their lives and not others. In fact, I'm willing to argue this, Omaha, that if more professing Christians held to an all-encompassing, comprehensive, biblical worldview, perhaps we wouldn't be having this conversation. But here we are having this conversation. Now, on this matter of Christians having a biblical worldview, I really like what Wayne Grudem has to say. Wayne Grudem did a book uh, a few years ago called "Politics According to the Bible," a comprehensive resource for understanding modern political issues in light of Scripture. And that's exactly what we've been talking about in this entire episode, viewing this issue of the Born Alive Act through the light of Scripture. Listen to what Grudem says. Grudem says, "I thought this was absolutely fantastic." Again, talking about Christians having a biblical worldview. Grudem says this quote: "A Christian worldview." must include the idea that there is a measure of moral evil, what the Bible calls sin, in the heart of every human being who lives on the face of the earth. In addition, the Bible shows that this moral evil in human beings must be defined in comparison to an external standard of right and wrong, a standard that comes not from the human race, but from God himself. This one idea that human beings are viewed as sinful before the absolute moral standards of the one true God has immense implications for numerous policy differences between Republicans and Democrats, unquote. Good. Grudem nailed it Mm -hmm. to have or not have a biblical worldview has immense implications and the defeat of the born alive act is one of those implications because not enough of us Christians have a biblical worldview. When we go into the voting booth and vote for these candidates who are running for office, it is Christians who help put these politicians in the Senate who voted down on a bill to keep a born baby alive. Mm -hmm. Born. You're out of the womb. Holy. You're out. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Right. You are wholly out of the womb, physically intact. Christians are at fault here. You know, and along the same lines as what I just read from Wayne Grudem, listen to what Daniel Aiken Uh, said. Daniel Aiken is a professor at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Wrote a book a couple years ago called A Theology for the Church. Theology for the Church. I think it's in its second edition now. A Theology for the the Church. Again, we're talking biblical worldview. And the implications and ramifications of Christians not having an all-encompassing biblical worldview and instead partition or segregate or separate certain areas of their life where I'm going to apply the word of God here, but not over here. Aiken says this, the people of God must be equipped to distinguish truth from error. Good theology from bad theology. Theological education exists, at least in part to equip believers with the ability to think, to reason, to analyze, to learn and to synthesize biblical truth, so that this truth may be imparted to others through preaching and teaching and ministry. Aiken continues. We dare not lose sight of this great purpose. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love this. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ must be thinkers whose minds are captive to the word of God and whose entire Intellectual structure is shaped and determined by biblical truth. I'm going to read that one part again. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ must be thinkers whose minds are captive to the Word of God and whose entire intellectual structure is shaped and determined by biblical truth. Aiken continues. He says, Our captivity to the Word of God is a scandal. In the secular culture and among the Christians enamored with that culture. The secular intellectuals, namely humanists, the secular intellectuals are blind to their own intellectual captivity to the spirit of the age. We, on the other hand, must wear our captivity to the Word of God as a badge of intellectual honor and integrity. Hmm. Any thoughts, Omaha? Man, you know, uh, and I'll,
1: I'll be brief here and just say, one of the things that one of the things that blessed me, and and it's 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 an example of exactly what you're talking about here in in this space. One of the things that blessed me was that that there was a there was a young lady who had taken our our previous episode of the Just Thinking broadcast and the one on the sent, one on sexual
0: sin in the church.
1: Yes, 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 and w- had taken notes on what we shared uh wrote down the verses of scripture unpacked them and then sent us back some feedback and just said hey thanks here here were my thoughts you know here's here's what i think about what you all uh what y'all shared and uh i can't think i can't i mean it, it, that's everything that you're talking about recognizing that that the that the biblical worldview is robust that as we share that here um w- you know it's important for us to get a notepad. It's important for us to get pen and paper and study the scripture mm-hmm. and know, and know what's in it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave her name out of this for now. She knows who she is. Uh, she, she posted on our wall. It blessed my world, man, that, 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 cause I, I know what, what you, what you do in particular, what I do to, to prepare for, for each of these episodes. And, and this, this will be a, be a, a larger episode for folks to kind of digest. And most of the folks who listen are thankful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what you're talking about speaks to that, taking seriously the faith and, and making the decision that you're going to spend the time to, to, to learn, study, understand, know, and
0: then implement what you're, what you're hearing. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Omaha. And Yes, I know exactly who that individual is, and we really appreciate her. And what what I found interesting in that is she went back and took that, our previous episode to this one, the the immediately previous episode, which was on sexual sin in the church. And she said that she and her husband Mm -hmm. listened to that episode Mm -hmm. together Mm and exposited it and made notes from it. So I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, But just to revisit one, one more time what Daniel Aiken said in the theology for the church, I thought this was just fantastic. His comment that disciples, I'm quoting again, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ must be thinkers whose minds are captive to the word of God and whose entire intellectual structure is shaped and determined by biblical truth. That is a perfect Description of what it means to have a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Our minds are captive to the word of God and our entire intellectual structure is shaped and determined by biblical truth. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. Now, we who claim the name of Jesus Christ must have a biblical worldview of life. We must have an all-encompassing biblical worldview of life, including politics. We can't continue to partition and segregate uh, uh, subjectively where we're going to apply the word of God and where we're not going to apply it. We have no excuse to do that. Listen to what John Calvin said in his Institutes. Calvin said this. He said, the obedience which we have taught is owed to superiors must always allow for an exception or rather for a rule which is to be observed above everything else. Now if I could apply that to contemporary uh, and contemporary terms and with respect to what we're talking about here, specifically as it relates to my thesis, which I've been arguing that the failure of the born alive act to pass is as much the responsibility of Christians because It is many of us who profess to be Christians that elected these people to office who voted that bill down. That's exactly what Calvin is saying. Mm -hmm. The obedience, which we have taught is owed to superiors must always allow for an exception or rather a rule, which is to be observed above everything else. So Christian, do you have a rule that no, I'm not going to vote for you period. If you support killing babies. Do you, is that a rule that you live by above everything else when you consider who to support uh, during major election cycles, local election cycles, whatever, it may, whatever of the case may be? Calvin continues, Such obedience should not deflect us from obedience to him, that is to God, with whose will all that kings desire should rightly comply. In other words, as it relates to the Born Alive Act, if your position on the Imago Dei nature of unborn babies, and in this case, born babies does not comply with the will of God, you don't get my vote. Period. Mm -hmm. Calvin goes on. He says, with whose will all that king's desire should rightly comply, to whose ordinance all their commands should, le- should yield, and by whose majesty all their arrogance should be humbled and abased. Let me pause again, because earlier in the episode, right, we quoted, <clears throat> excuse me, we quoted a text in Scripture that defined the mindset, right, as being arrogant, demonic, earthly. And Calvin's using that same word, arrogance, here. Calvin goes on. He says, And in truth, how willful would it be if to satisfy men we incurred the anger of him for whose sake we obey men? The Lord is thus the King of kings who, as soon as he opens his sacred mouth, Calvin says, the Lord is is thus the King of kings who, as soon as he opens his sacred mouth must be heard above all men for all men and before all men Man, that's good Unquote. And what better way to do that than when we are discerning with regard to men and women we are who are running for political office and are asking our vote we must be discerning. We must remember Calvin's words that all these politicians are going to one day, one day bow the knee before Jesus Christ. Right. You know who else is going to bow the knee and give an account before the Lord? Us. We will. And you're going to be held accountable
2: mm-hmm.
0: for how you voted. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. These men and women who defeated this legislation that would have kept alive babies who were already born. Many of us are at fault for that because we helped put these politicians in the Senate, in the house. Mm-hmm. We help put them there. So yeah, God's going to hold us responsible and accountable for that. I want to quote something. Uh, Verse from a real good friend of mine who you i don't know if you follow her on twitter but if you don't you should no i do uh, oh yeah summer white yeager yeah, summer yeah white yeah. yeager summer yeah. is the daughter of dr james white the yeah, man she's got she's got some good man she's got some good stuff i actually
1: i've actually enjoyed not i've, I've listened a little bit to their podcast and then and then uh she did a she did a a, a talk uh with sovereign uh the folks from sovereign uh that do um uh, oh gosh they do the debates and, uh, man's really, really powerful. I thought, wow. You know?
0: Yeah. She's, uh, she's awesome. So Summer White Yeager is the daughter of uh, Dr. James White, the man, the myth, the legend. And I, um, I saw this uh, tweet from Summer the other day and I uh, responded in that thread. I said, listen, this is really good. I said, can I have your permission to use this in our next, uh, just thinking uh podcast episode? Cause we were talking about the born alive act and she, Gladly gave me her permission to do this, but listen to what Summer said. I think this really kind of nails it. She says, as believers, we must live as though God has spoken and it has real time effect on our lives. Let me read that again. As believers, uh, Summer says, we must live as though God has spoken and it has real time effect in our lives. Mm -hmm. God has defined sin, justice, manhood, womanhood goodness and righteousness we must act accordingly amen Mm -hmm. (laughs) excuse me i thought that was absolutely brilliant she says as believers we must live as though god has spoken and he has Mm -hmm. god has spoken and that it has real-time effect in our lives we made this point last week in the episode on sexual sin in the church. We made the point about how God not only chose us for the found, before the foundation of the world with respect to eternity, but to obey him right now in the here and now. In other words, it's a somerset in real time. So as we close, Omaha, I want to close with this one point. Politics is theology. Politics is theology. Politics is not something... Christians can partition or treat as separate from how we view any other aspect of our existence as followers of Christ in this nation. Mm -hmm. You can't partition, you can't segregate how you're going to apply the Bible in your life. Listen, the word of God either applies to all of your life or it applies to none of it. Mm -hmm. This is not some buffet where you walk through and say, yeah, Lord. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me Michael six, eight on justice. Give me Micah 6, 8 on justice. Mm-hmm. But don't give me Genesis 127 on the Imago Day. No, mm-hmm. I, I can uh Genesis is boring. Right. You know. No, you can't do that. We are to be salt. Excuse me. We are to be salt and light. Matthew 5.16. Your Virgil, have you ever used salt?
1: Yes, often.
0: You've used salt. So, <laughs> <laughs> Too often. Salt. Now, yes. when you use salt, <clears throat> Whatever you salt, do you only put the salt on a portion of that item, or do no. you salt the whole thing?
1: I salted well, brother.
0: You salt the whole thing.
1: Whole thing, man.
0: Nobody only, when you use salt, you don't just use salt on a portion of the thing you're salting. You want the whole thing to taste as if it's seasoned with salt. Yes. But not, not many Christians understand this. We put a grain of salt over here. We'll take a grain of salt and put it over there. No, you are salt and light to the entire world. And that means you must have a biblical worldview that applies to every single area of your life. Mm-hmm. And as we read from uh, Daniel Aiken earlier, from your every area of your thinking. Yes. Every area of your mind, because that's where your worldview originates. Christians must begin to scrutinize political candidates against the objective truth of the Word of God and consequently cast our votes for those candidates within the framework of an objective biblical worldview and not as autonomous human beings, which none of us is. Mm-hmm. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. That's good. You're not your own. We are indeed living in a post-Christian society. I said this right at the top. Yeah, we are living did. in a post-Christian society. There is no doubt about that. But in, in discarding God's word as our moral compass, we have convinced ourselves that God will not judge us. We've convinced ourselves of that. That's where that human autonomy comes from Mm -hmm. because we've convinced ourselves that God will not judge us. We think the members of the Trinity are in heaven playing Uno as we go (laughs) about murdering millions of his unborn image bearers. Yeah. The rejection of the born alive act legislation by the United States Senate is nothing short of political molochism. And I get that term Molochism as a reference to, The sacrificing of children to the heathen god Moloch in the Old Testament. Child sacrifice. Right. This is child Mm sacrifice. This is political Molochism. Mm -hmm. That's what this is. The defeat of the Born Alive Act is evidence that there are men and women serving in Congress today who are, like Paul said, who are of depraved minds. Mm -hmm. And what's sad about that is that many of these same politicians are there because people who profess to be Christians voted for them. Yeah. And in that sense, and I'm probably going to catch some heat for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. In that sense, because Christians voted for many, many Christians voted for many of these individuals. In that sense, the blood of the countless children who are born alive, but will die as a result of this legislation, not passing is on our hands. Mm -hmm. It's on our hands. And all I can do is pray that our ever merciful God will have mercy on us, mm. Omaha. I'll let you close it out. Man. Yeah, no. I, I think that's. I think. I think you said it all in that in
1: in that statement. And and the reality is, not only do do we have a responsibility, um, we, we've got to wake up. You know, we we've got to we've got to wake up. I'm watching a. I'm watching. You know, social justinians who who are social justicians who are advocating for for voting for candidates that. That that don't hold our our worldview, that don't hold a biblical worldview. In fact, are antithetical to everything we claim to hold.
0: Exactly, exactly. To hold
1: dear, and and it, it absolutely makes no sense. This, this was this is a lengthy uh, uh, podcast. If you've made it this this far, you've listened to it all. My hope is that you you would do so slowly. Thoughtfully, that you may even even pause, go back, re-listen uh, to to what was stated here, because we, we laid out in the in, in the time that we we've extended here a biblical view of this issue, a theological view of this issue, and and then and then I loved how how at, at, at the end, uh, Daryl w- wrapped it up with the fact that that politics is theological, that that we should be informed theologically, and it should have impact on how we vote um, that, that we should make no bones about that. Be crystal clear about that. Tune in again with us next time when we'll uh, be ready to, to tee up another, another great topic. Uh, Join us again for the, for the next edition of the just thinking broadcast.